Thank you for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Well, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Last week, we obviously went over 1 Samuel 17. I want to take a look real quick just of some of the typologies that we kind of briefly went over last week, but I want us to be able to see this all through David's life. He is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and there's no and it's really seen here in chapter 17 of of 1 Samuel. Um, In 1 Samuel 16, we see that David was first anointed by the Spirit of God. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of the oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Um, Jesus was also anointed with the Spirit of the Lord at his baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. In, um, we also see that when David arrives on the scene, he was scorned by his brothers. 1 Samuel seventeen twenty eight says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. When Jesus came on the scene, we're told in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So we're seeing these, these types, these similarities, these pictures of a person who is to come and the reality is the person of Christ. And so just as David drew on his past experiences of slaying the lion and the bear to defeat Goliath, it says, but David said to Saul in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty four. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And so David draws on past victories uh, in order to have victory over Goliath. Well, Jesus also uh, relies... In a sense, we see him uh, with past victories over Satan himself when he was being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And three different times, Jesus says, it is written. And then in Matthew 4.11, it says, and the devil left him. Uh, and so he had victory over Satan at that point as well. Um, in 1 Samuel 17, verses 49 through 51, it says, Then David put in his hand in his bag, took out a stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there's no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head. I love that, because I'm a guy. All guys love that. Um, and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. We see this um, also being a, uh, a type, a foretelling uh, of our great Redeemer 
who has come, but at this point was still to come, uh, that is going to um, deal Satan a death blow. Uh, We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When they had sinned in the garden, God himself prophesied and he told them, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, speaking to the serpent. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So it talks about a coming seed that is going to deal the serpent, Satan, a death blow to the head, much like Goliath's head was cut off. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Just like the Philistines fled when they saw Goliath die. It says, at that point when he nailed it to the cross, at the point where he says, to tell us die, it is finished. Colossians goes on to say, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's all the powers and principalities. That's all the demonic hosts. All that saw what had happened at that point, and they were made a public spectacle. They probably fled at that point themselves, much like the Philistine army did. In 1 Samuel 17.54, and it says, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever unless you understand the typology that's being said here. I've read many commentaries that said, well, he went to, to present it before the Jebusites in, in order to say, look at my great God, look what I've done, and uh, I'm coming for you next. That's a possibility. But David doesn't do that for another 10 years. So, uh, you know, so again, bringing it to Jerusalem to do that, that's great. Did he carry it around with him for 10 years until he finally took over um, there? uh, Well, actually, it would have been probably more like 15 years later, um, 15, 16, 17 years later, because David was king for seven years before he was able to take control of Jerusalem, you know. And so was he carrying around that head that whole time? For us guys, we're going, yeah. For you girls, you're going, ew, why would he do that? To guys, we're going, well, obvious. Look at this big noggin. Of course, we're going to carry this around. It reminds us of this great triumph that we had in life. So, of course, we're going to carry it around. But why bring it to Jerusalem? Why is that even made known? doesn't mention him bringing it anywhere else besides to Saul himself. And I personally believe it is because of this typology. We saw um, last week that the... um, that the, the, the code of male that um, Goliath would have had, the word male there is actually a Hebrew word that means scale. And so it speaks of the scales of the serpents or scales of fish. And it's interesting that just a few chapters before this in chapter 5 when the Ark of the Covenant was, was uh, taken captive and brought to the Philistines and they put it before their fish god known as Dagon. And yet when they, wake, when they get up in the morning where they place it right before their god, Dagon, like, ha-ha, our god is bigger, better than your god, and you put it in front of their god, all of a sudden they get up the next morning, they go in there, and Dagon is flat on his face with his head cut off. And I think, again, that's, that's that foretelling, that type of 
This is going to happen in the future too to the real person who is of scales, that serpent of old, that dragon, Satan. And so it's kind of pointing to him. And so they, they, take, uh, um, they take the head there to Jerusalem because that is the place where Jesus is going to die there on Calvary and he's going to sever the head of Satan once and for all. And so it speaks of that. It speaks of that. That's what I love about God's word. I just love seeing all these types and the prophecies and, and just going, whoa, you know. And no other uh, religious writing has any of this. This is, this is what makes it rise to the top when you go, well, what difference is the Bible from anything? Well, stuff like this is what's so different. And all the rest of the religious writings out there just pale in comparison. And so here, we go here to chapter 18, and then it says, and now when he had finished speaking, meaning when they have done speaking all this Goliath talk, all this stuff that you know, um, as, as David brings in uh, Goliath's head there before Saul, and Saul begins to inquire, okay, whose family are you from? And just after they get through all this, it says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Right there, we see another typology, just in the names. David means beloved. Jonathan means God has given. God has given the beloved. Since David represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who does Jonathan represent in his typology? I would submit to you the priesthood of believers. I would say believers, the church. And I think we'll see that here in a second. Um, it says, And had he finished speaking to Saul, and the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe and was on him and gave it to David and with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Um, one of the things here that uh, I really like that I think is, is really neat is that, um, again, it, it talks about how uh, Jonathan is knit to the soul of David. And the word knit there means to bind, it means to tie, it means to unite uh, and so um, there's, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, where God has just so quickly knitted your heart to someone. Uh, when I was going over this today, I was trying to think of when has God ever knit my soul to someone other than my wife? I was going, when has God ever knit my soul? And the Lord spoke to me so quickly. And you know what he said? He said, Calvary Chapel, Castle Rock. And I just went, you're right. I never knew that I could fall in love with the fellowship so quickly. I didn't know that I'd be received so quickly, um, that my heart would be so quickly knitted together with the, the staff here. I was talking to Joey earlier today, praying for him because he was sick, and, and we were kind of talking about that. And I said, man, God just never ceases to amaze me. Is whatever I'm going through God's word, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, look, right, right here, it's happening, you know? Uh, and so I, I know what that means. I truly know what that means. And so we're told here, and, and let me ask you a question here. Have you ever thought of this as we were going through this in chapter 17? We, we know that, that Saul has kind of fallen from grace. We know that Saul has fallen in the way of, of he's very carnal-minded, he's very fleshly-minded, 
Um, he doesn't, uh, he's not thinking about the things of God. Uh, and so he's cowering there. He's not willing to go out because he knows that the Spirit of the Lord isn't with him to face Goliath. But we have another godly man here that makes me beg the question, why didn't Jonathan step up and fight Goliath? He, he's definitely courageous. We, we already saw him with his armor bearer going up and, and taking care of a Philistine garrison, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, whomping on the Philistines after that, and, and, and he's won a, several battles after that, and, and so he's obviously a very courageous guy. So why doesn't Jonathan step up? I'm sure he's looking this, and I, I don't really think that he is cowering over this. And for whatever reason, and the reason really isn't given, but I'll tell you something, if he went out to fight Goliath and lose, if he was out there to fight Goliath and then win, he would have really screwed up the type. And the type is, is that David, who's a type of Jesus Christ, he's the one that needs to be the giant killer here. Because Jonathan, as I'm telling you right now, he represents the church. And you have to do that through the strength of the giant killer. You need to do that through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has to wait for, in a sense, his Redeemer to come. And his Redeemer is going to be David. And our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. David represents him. I think Jonathan represents the church. And we see this here as Jonathan falls in love with David that day, the day you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ is also the day that you make a covenant with him. And that's the day that Jonathan made a covenant with David. You receive the work that Jesus did for you on the cross, and when Jonathan takes off his robe and gives it to David with his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt, he's relinquishing his position now to David. He's relinquishing his position of being number one to where now he is number two. He's going to be serving David. He's no longer going to be number one. He's not going to rule himself because he was supposed to be the next one on the throne. But he says, I'm not going to rule. And I'm not going to rule myself. I'm going to rule under him. And when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what you do when you do that? You give up self-rule. And what most Christians have a problem with is that they come to the Lord, but they don't really submit to Him as their Lord. Oh, they want the Savior part of being saved so I don't go to hell and things like that. But you have to understand it's a complete package. It's not so much that you were saved from something as you now are saved for something. And you're saved for, in order to bring glory to God's name, by serving under the one who's head of the church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I come to the Lord now. I'm I'm done with self-rule. I will let him rule in my life. And so when I do that, I'm taking on exactly what Jonathan does here. He just says, no, this is no longer mine, it's yours. I now belong to you. I love that about Jonathan here. I love him. What a great man of God, great character uh, for us to look after and, uh, and look upon and great uh, name to name your kid because it's just a, a great character in God's word. And so it says here in 1 Samuel 18, 5, he goes on and says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him, behaved wisely, 
Saul sent him over the men of war. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. So he goes out everywhere. He does exactly what Saul asks him to do. Um, we find uh, through this whole dialogue, as well as these events of the next few chapters or so, David doesn't do anything to usurp Saul's authority, even when he's being mistreated. Boy, if that isn't a lesson to learn for all of us. Some of you are going, Dave, you don't understand my plight at work. You don't understand my dad. Talk about overbearing. You know, Dad, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not 27 anymore. He's still your father. You honor your mother and your father. You don't understand this person at work, this, this, you know. It's like, hey, come on. What are you doing? Are you trying to usurp his or her authority that God has put in your life? Are you trying to wiggle out of that? David never did. He never did that. In Colossians chapter 3, let's go over there real quick. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22 says, Bond servants obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. David does not have to worry about whether Saul of what he's doing is right or wrong. He has a higher authority that that he is going to have to answer to, and he doesn't have to answer to David. He's going to have to answer to the Lord. But David understands it's not his place to tell Saul that he's doing this is wrong and he shouldn't be doing this. And as we see, as he throws a spear, you'll notice he doesn't throw a spear back. David is a perfect representation of, of how we're supposed to be. And, uh, and knowing that even if we're in a hard situation, we're not there to usurp the authority of those that God has above us. And he never does that. Where did Saul send David? He sends him out over the men of war. This is a remarkable promotion. Uh, He can't be any older than probably 24, 25 years old. That's a huge position for such a young, young guy. Uh, And then it says in verse six, uh, six, it says, Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel. So what this means is that as David is going and fighting battles, And as he's going out and representing Israel, and he's defending all the townships that are having issues with the Philistines, and he's defeating the enemies, every town that he comes back in after defending them from their enemies, they're singing this song to him. They come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousand. So this is the song that they're singing in every city. This was a number one hit in Israel. And so all the women are singing this. And it says, and Saul was very angry. 
And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000. To me, they've ascribed only thousands. Hey, Saul, what, what have you done lately? That they still remember that you've slain your thousands. You should be excited about that. And so he says, and what more can he have but the kingdom? Well, this is a typical kind of overreaction uh, that people are going to have. Uh, you know, um, this, is, this speaks of um, a guilty conscience. It speaks of, um, of being afraid that uh, those uh, underneath you go on to do bigger and better things. That's not what a proud parent should be concerned about. A proud parent should be going, this is great. He's come through our ranks and everything, even though he's not my physical son. I, I sense he's like my spiritual son. I should be excited that he's doing so well. I should be excited about that. It is a bit of a guilty conscience as well. He probably remembers the prophet Samuel telling him, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. He's probably wondering at every uh, turn of David's success, is this the time? Is this the time that God is going to take the kingdom from me? You know, and, he, and he's worried about these things. He's worried about these things. And it was a very big overreaction. And so it says in verse 9, So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. It's interesting to me how Saul can continue to prophesy with the distressing spirit on him. But here's something also very interesting. The Hebrew word prophecy can also be, um, could also be uh, seen as uh, meaning raving, as in raving mad. And so what could be happening here is that it could be interpreted that um, he is raving as in a madman. And so when I look at the context, that seems to me more of what is probably happening here. He's raving like a madman. Or if he is prophesying, it could be that he's prophesying falsely. Um, or he could be prophesying like Balaam, in spite of himself. So any one of those three, I think you have a pretty good case with. You have a pretty good case with. Uh, so David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Interesting. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Notice it says that there was a spear in Saul's hand, and then it says that he cast, and it, the word is the spear. There's a, there's a definite article there. Bringing your attention to this spear. What is it about this spear that should be brought to your attention? And I would submit to you, because of what we've gone over in chapter 17 and how we were able to see uh, the presence of Goliath there with his spear, that the very tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. That this was a very, very impressive spear. And, and is it possible that this is the spear that is in Saul's presence that he uses to pin David to the wall? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. It's just interesting that it says the spirit, bringing attention. There's something about this spirit that we're supposed to be looking at here. Um, but David escaped his presence twice, which tells me that Saul threw the spear twice, which tells me after the first time, David came back again to play music. 
Only to have him throw it at him again. And he missed again. Neither death nor even life. Let nothing ever separate us. That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Oh,